Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Life in Red podcast. Luke Mullen and Amy Just, first one of 2023. New Year is here. Feels about the same, but mm-hmm. yeah, get yeah. used to it as always. Yeah, you know, you know, when you're writing checks, do you know how to write a check? I Any- do. Okay, that, you're a young one, yeah. so I don't know if you knew probably, what those things were. Probably was taught multiple times, <laughs> forgot, relearned. But I'm not saying that I'm out here writing checks on a regular or anything. Okay. Like that, so. Okay. No, I uh, I had to write a check yesterday, and uh, shocking, I put 2022. <laughs> so it takes time. It takes, it takes time. Some time. Yes. Definitely. But wanted to uh, convene, talk all football, all episode today. I'm um, talking a little bit, some developments on the recruiting trail and obviously a lot going on. Big time of the year for the national college football landscape. Uh, so we'll get to that in the moment. But obviously, we, we want to start off this episode. Um, Damar Hamlin, you know, the news across the entire country going on. A very scary moment, you know, needing CPR on the field. So obviously all of our thoughts are with him. Um, also want to prompt all of you. Amy wrote a great column on Brady Barron, former Lincoln East player, went through something kind of similar. Um, so local ties to a, a big national event, but obviously very scary for Everyone who plays football, watches football, our our thoughts are with them. Yeah, uh, right before we started taping here at uh, 3.20 on a Thursday, um, he is still in critical condition, but the prognosis is getting better. He's awake. He's been communicating with doctors. Um, Can't speak yet because he's still intubated, but it's it's a good sign. Yes, good news, and hopefully more to come as well. But Mm -hmm. moving on to... Our topics for the day, I think, you know, a big splash for Nebraska in the recruiting world. You know, you have this very busy December period Mm -hmm. and then things kind of, you know, taper off for a little bit till February. That is with the exception of the Under Armour All-American game. One of the best uh, traditions, you could say, classics. I love I just love, you know, that they cut from in-game action to these players. You know, they got the hats in front of them, national TV, the family's there. You know, it's, it's a big moment. It's it's great. And, you know, oftentimes, I mean, it's top 100, top 200 recruits. I mean, some of the best players in the nation. And Nebraska landed, too. Ethan Nation and Cameron Lenhart. Yeah, yeah. And those were expected, right? Um, but one of my one of the cool things I thought, uh, I'm not as into recruiting anymore as uh, you and some of our other uh, co-workers. Um, but one of the things I thought was really cool was how they just kind of kept things quiet for mm-hmm. Ethan. Um, he had signed last month, uh, I guess, yeah, because it's January now. Yeah. Um, but they kept it quiet, let him have his moment, um, announce, and then be like, oh, yeah, we signed him last month, um, which I thought was pretty cool because, I don't know, I am all for a scoop, uh, but you don't want to, you know, uh, ruin uh, some kids' moment. Yeah, you know? when when they're going on ESPN, you know, I know. That's, uh, you, want, you want that clip. Moment. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that was the cool part um, for me, I guess, just watching that. So. Yeah, and I think you know, in, in terms of the players that Nebraska added here, both I think high potential, which is something we've discussed often yes. with this recruiting class. I mean, that's the mo you know that any coaching staff is looking after. But in particular, I think Nation, you know, he. 
he's a little bit undersized maybe for what you might expect from a cornerback, but his athleticism, you know, it, it makes up for it. He he reads the game very well from what I've seen, had a, had a couple of nice plays there in the All-American game and had a lot of offers. I mean, he was heavily sought after mm-hmm. SEC schools. He'd been in contact with them for a while, but Nebraska gets him late in the process, shows him that interest, you know, tells him how they want to use him, got him here for an official visit, and and that sealed the deal. Yeah, you know, yes, he is a little undersized, but he also fits the mold of something else that Nebraska has been looking for in this recruiting class, whether it's high schools or transfers, is speed. Yeah. Doesn't matter the position. They're mm-hmm. looking for speed because you can't necessarily teach that. You can't coach that in the, lo- in the weight room, excuse me. Um, so they'll figure out getting pounds on him and mm-hmm. all of those things, but speed you can't really teach. Yeah, and DB's coach, Evan Cooper, he has been an ace recruiter. I mean, Mm -hmm. when he's been talking with guys, you know, trying to get them to Nebraska, I mean, most of them have have ended up here. So he's done done an excellent job at that. And also defensive line coach Terrence Knighton has been doing a lot too, maybe coaching uh, edge rusher Cameron Lenhart here in the next couple of months, who's a really interesting one, you know, considering he was committed to the previous staff and, and decommitted. But, I mean, he was still obviously interested. I mean, some of the things, you know, the transcend staff, you know, the facilities, the, mm-hmm. the town, the academics, you know, all sorts of factors. But it sounds like, I mean, Rule and, and Knighton and this entire staff really – built relationships with Lenhart, just like they did all these other recruits in a very short amount of time. It just, it makes you think what's going to happen when this uh, staff has, you know, more than a truncated amount of time to <laughs> sure. put together a class. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, what they've done is nothing short of remarkable in three, four weeks. Yeah, and I mean, as you bring it up, it was a class that was, you know, eight to 10 players, you know, depending on when it was, you know, 50th, 60th nationally, one of the lowest in the Big Ten, you know, just because of that instability, you know, the mm-hmm. the questions of, you know, how could they add to the class? Where would it be at the end of this? Well, as we record, they're roughly top 25 to 30, you know, depending on the recruiting service. But I mean, that's a that's a that's a huge jump. in, as you said, I mean, a, a month's time. Yeah. And Regardless of who they hired as a coach, there was going to be a jump, right? Because mm-hmm. guys are going to bring in some of you know the people that they want. Um, but that big of jump, I don't think, uh, would have happened just with anybody. Sure. Yeah. And like like I said, I mean, the relationships they built. I mean, this is not necessarily a case of where all these guys, you know, they they didn't have all these prospects lined up. I mean, they had players and name, you know, names in mind and you know who they wanted to talk to. But I mean. It was hard work and, you know, from the players end too, it's it's obviously kind of a discovery process. So saying the right things, you know, telling them what they needed to and and obviously the the strength of those relationships, like I said, and, and everything Nebraska had to offer gets them here. And we'll see if there's any more additions in, in the next couple of weeks, probably the transfer portal, Nebraska hosting a few visitors this weekend. And we'll see, you know, there will be more names. Obviously, they, they still have a couple more weeks to decide mm-hmm. their final destination and go through that visit process now that it has that period for transfers coming to campus as well. So we'll see. We will see. Um, though I I don't anticipate a lot of change, but some. Yeah. I mean, the, the roster numbers, they're already over a little bit. So yeah. you got to be careful at a, at a certain point not, exactly. to, not to take too many. Yeah. Don't want to run into a problem like baseball anyway. <laughs> for another day. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, wanted to, to talk about college football playoff, of course. I mean, 
most years, I hate to say it, but the semifinals have been blowouts. They've been pretty boring. Duds, no yeah, fun like, to there's watch. There's been there's been a very clear top one or top two teams. Mm-hmm. Well, this year, I mean that that went out the window, which the Big Ten did go zero and two, but two very close, mm-hmm. entertaining games. Um, wanted to talk about. I mean, if the first one, TCU beating Michigan, fifty-one to forty-five. Thought it was a little sloppy, a lot of turnovers, some penalties, execution, but Michigan kept fighting and and TCU kept answering. Yeah, it was wild. Like, I could not keep up with that game. It just, it felt like pure chaos. I think (laughs) that's what I tweeted. It was just pure chaos all game long. And that's what you want as a viewer, right? I would have hated to write off of that game, Uh, (laughs) but not my problem. But it, it was so entertaining and sure like turnovers are sloppy but they're they're also fun so yeah i mean that's what you want you kind of want those momentum swings you know Mm -hmm. where big plays are answered with more big plays regardless of where they come from and tcu defense stepped up two pick sixes of jj mccarthy which i think helped bridge the gap because going in i was like you know this this is an elite michigan defense i was i was not expecting tcu to move the ball the way they did, which is obviously a credit to them. But, you know, 51 points in the end, yes, the, the pick six has helped. But the TCU offense, Max Duggan, I mean, they, they showed up in the big moment. They also, or excuse me, Michigan, and you, it's a little precursor to potentially what we could see, right, um, had issues with TCU's 3-3-5 defense. Mm-hmm. And that's probably what Nebraska is going to be moving forward with um, in the future with Tony White. So even though we're talking about uh, teams that don't really have anything to do with Nebraska, you look at the struggles that Michigan had against TCU, and it's intriguing. It sure is, yeah. And, you know, the, the other thing, too, of course, you know, when, when we're talking about Max Duggan, pretty pretty close Council Bluffs, Iowa, right on the border, um, you know, potentially had some uh, Nebraska interest, Scott Frost, you know, interested in him, but, you know, ends up going down to TCU, and you just have to give so much credit to him. I mean, obviously, you can, you can read, you know, the TCU beat writers that have been following him the whole year, but, I mean, for a guy that came into the year, probably wasn't going to be the starter, had that idea of, you know, being benched, you know, having to accept that and goes out, becomes a starter again and leads them all the way to the national championship game. I mean, what a dream, right? And he's, you know, a finalist for the Heisman. Yeah. (laughs) What a a year. What a series of four or five months for that kid. It's pretty cool. Pretty special. And, I mean, TCU was bad last year. Like, bad, bad. And so, you know, everyone used to point to the miracle that Scott Frost performed at UCF over those two season stretch uh, when UCF was like 0-12 and mm-hmm. then, you know, won the national championship. <laughs> um, and then, I mean, what Dykes has done at TCU in one season, I have no words. It's just phenomenal to watch and shows that it can be done. Do- not often, but it can. And it's, you know, it's remarkable to look back at, obviously, I mean, hindsight is, is so much different yeah. from before the season, you know, TCU being picked, I think they were seventh in the big, te- in the big 12 was the preseason poll. I mean, the expectations for the team versus the reality. I mean, what a, what a year for all of them. And, and like you said, a big credit to that coaching staff. Absolutely. And of course, I mean, the other semifinal that was just as good, if not better, you mm-hmm. know, going down to a pretty epic fourth quarter back and forth 
Uh, of course, Georgia pulling away one point win with the final last second missed field goal for Ohio State. But I mean, my takeaway, you, you look at those elite programs, they produce so much NFL talent and that was on display. And of course, there were there were plenty more NFL players on the sidelines, I'm sure, waiting for their chance next year. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that's how stacked those two, two teams are. It like pains me to just like look at, oh, what if all of those other talents were like somewhere else and yeah. playing? And it's like Alabama, right? They always have like, mm-hmm. at one point they had three future Heisman winners on their roster. Anyway, uh, but yeah, it's uh, CJ Stroud and Stetson Bennett. Yeah. And, um, I know Stetson has uh, had some of his detractors uh, this season, but uh, he proved uh, himself uh, worthy uh, the other day, didn't he? Yeah, both. Incredibly clutch. I mean, that fourth quarter, those big moments, the spotlight's on. That's that's when you need a quarterback to step up, and they both did. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That game was so much fun to watch. And, you know, we, we talk about the NFL talent, too, that Ohio State wide receiver room. Marvin Harrison, you know, getting hurt. That's, that's kind of, you know, that's the what if there for the Buckeye fans as well. He was, you know, dominating the game as he's dominated all year long. Uh, and Ohio State, now they've, uh, they've lost back-to-back games for the first time since 2013. Which is insane. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, 2013, the fall of 2013, I was a freshman in college. Don't tell me how old you were. <laughs> Middle school, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Gross. <laughs> but, Gross. But I, I think, you know, just seeing those two games, uh, great, you know, best semifinals we've had all year or all all of the four-team playoff era, which brings us to our next topic, that next year will be the last one. I mean... Good. The the future of of college football is looking a lot different, and it's looking like the playoff will be accessible to a lot more teams, which, like you said, is is a good thing. One of my favorite... Mike Leach, rest in peace, uh, Mm. tantrum moments was... He was not tantrum, just a, a good rant, I guess, about oh, high school football. They have playoffs. They make it work. Ah, but that's not good enough. Okay, Division three football. Hmm, they have a playoff. They make it work. Eh, it's still not Division one. Okay, what about Division two? Oh, they've got a playoff. Oh, FCS, they've got a playoff. Oh, well, you know, Division one football. Let's look at who's better than us. The NFL. Oh, they have a playoff. And it's just, <laughs> it is the best. Yeah, yeah. I am obviously nowhere near as uh, eloquent as. Uh, we we got to get you like fired up and then, then we can get a, a Mike Leach esque rant, hopefully. Oh, uh, <laughs> no, no. But I mean, he, like, that's what comes to mind when I watch this four team playoff. Yeah. I'm like, this could be better. And there are so many reasons why it's not, right? You know, the Bulls have such a stranglehold on college football. You know, do you have to change the entire setup in terms of, okay, well, yes, the FCS has a playoff, but they played less games. So they can you know, do a full mm. playoff. Do you move the season up a week or two? So we're not, you know, doing the playoff in like the third week of January and make these kids play from mm. August to, you know, almost February. So there's a lot of, you know, contingencies that have to be looked at when you do something of this magnitude, but I don't care what you have to do. It's got to be fixed because there's nothing more special than the playoffs. 
but is it a real playoff when it's only four teams? No. No. <laughs> it's an invitational. Yep. It is a postseason invitational with a trophy at the end of it. And as we've seen, I mean, the teams getting invited are often the same teams mm-hmm. and often from the same conferences, uh, which obviously the 12-team uh, the format will aim to fix that uh, with the four highest-ranked conference champions all getting buys. And then, I love it, first-round games to be held on campus sites, hopefully, with kind of the caveat, I mean, if a, a small school was in these top seats, they could host at a, a neutral venue with more seats. But, man, I mean, the idea of, of playing a playoff game at home in December or, you know, wherever it may be, you know, obviously in Big Ten country, I mean, that's a, a very enticing idea indeed. I mean, you lots of sports do that. Women's basketball uh, for the postseason men's basketball for the NIT, women's volleyball. But there's something just a little bit more special about football. Gosh. I mean, could you imagine a like a, a small school hosting like let's say Tulane hosts Michigan. Yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> oh. There's that would be so fun. Like it just creating new memories and excitement um for a sport that's pretty old and I don't know. It's cool. Also, a little uh, moment here. Uh, Tulane, how about that? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. Could you imagine if they had the 12-team playoff this year? Like, how much potential chaos? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Roll they, they, wave, they could be in, baby. They could be in the, the quarterfinals right now. Roll wave. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. No, 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 you're good. I mean, that yeah. was an exciting game, too. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I mean, many. I, I, thought ex- it, I thought it was over, obviously, with four minutes left or whatever it was. Never count out Willie Fritz. Yeah. Ever. <laughs> <laughs> and never, never count out a, a big time collapse, too. Oh, uh, also that. <laughs> also that. But the, uh, the other thing that I really like about the 12 team format is that a loss or two doesn't ruin your season because. Yeah. In this like four-team playoff era, you kind of have this concept where one loss and like you know you're done. Yeah, basically for teams that have those national championship aspirations, I mean it's it's crazy how how high the level of play needed to be, kind of the expectations, and now you know it's kind of a case where hey you know go out schedule that marquee non-conference game because a loss isn't going to knock you out of the playoffs. This year alone, if we were using you know the top 12 rankings. Uh, two lost teams, Alabama, Tennessee would be in. Three lost Utah and Kansas State with great, great wins. Couple, yeah. couple losses too. I mean, it doesn't matter. They're one of the best teams in the country, and and they'd be able to play for a national title. It just needs to be here already. One more year. Boo. <laughs> and of course, I, I guess you know probably the only downside is that other bowl games become a little bit less and less relevant, but. We've already seen that trend happening. I mean, it's not, it's not anything that is worth ruining a, a potentially amazing playoff system. So, honestly, like the Bulls should, you know, embrace this, yeah. right? Like, you know, like it gives another opportunity for some mid-tier teams to come play. You know. I don't know. Like, I love bowl season. I think it starts a little too early. Um, but, again, there are so many bowl teams, and you have now so many five and seven teams mm-hmm. playing. Um, maybe there needs to be change there, too. Yeah. But 
the bull landscape has Probably. changed a lot. Yeah. And this is just the latest change. There will be more. So adapting and, and adjusting to the times, no doubt. Yeah. I'd be okay if we cut a few. Not all of them. Give me the cheese it bowl every day of the week. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> but uh, some of the other ones, eh. I want more food or drink-sponsored bowls with that big Gatorade dumps, like the mayo bath. I mean, come on. Let's get... <laughs> <laughs> Yuck. That was, an, that was an involuntary reaction right there to the thought of a, a mayo bath. I don't want to take a bath in mayo. Yeah, Do yeah. you want to? If I, if I just want a bowl game, I mean, why not? Yeah. Ew. Gross. <laughs> but yeah, uh, speaking of uh, food bowls, RIP to the Outback Bowl. Indeed. The Bloom and Onion the, mascot. Yeah. It's glorious. Per- perfect. Fantastic. It's great sponsorship. Absolutely. Well, we will we'll I, see. Maybe a Raising Cane's Bowl Ooh, one day. Yeah, like That'd that. be cool. Todd Graves, do you yep. hear me? That's the, the founder of uh, Raising Cane's, if you didn't know. Anyway, yeah. I know the dog. The dog's named Cane, right? Is that, that's where it came from? Mm-hmm. Yes. I spent, I spent some time at that restaurant. <sighs> do you know where it was founded? Ooh, gotta be like, since you're asking, gotta be Louisiana, right? Yeah. All right. Baton Rouge, Louisiana. <laughs> but before I lived in Louisiana, Raising Cane's uh, catered my high school graduation party. Fun fact. Nice. It was good. I love their chicken fingers. Yeah. Not as good as they used to be because they're, you know, not as big as they used to be. Anyway. We've, we we've went fully, a little yeah, we off the fully, deep end today. We you, started this episode saying we're only going to talk about football and we end Raising here. Raising Cane's is about football. Yes. It's, it, it, <laughs> I mean, it, it's fine. It's totally fine. This was a, like the semifinals, a bit chaotic. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Well, look forward to uh, our return to form next week. We'll be talking staff. Staff will be finalized. Mm-hmm. Get the chance to hopefully sit down with a couple. We'll, we'll hear from the coordinators soon. So we'll have our full reaction to the new staff, any updates that come from the next mm-hmm. week. But I think that does it for us today. Appreciate all of you tuning in as usual. Uh, for Amy Just, I've been Luke Mullen. Thanks for watching the Life in the Red podcast.